Hello everyone, it's Sabrina Ray, the host of Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. And I just wanted to give you a heads up before you listen to this show that I referred to the character Deo, the blonde police officer, as Ray throughout the show. Because it's my middle name and I guess I'm stuck up and egotistical. But in honesty, I am terribly sorry for the mistake and I hope it doesn't ruin your enjoyment of an otherwise lively broadcast. Are you ready to go? Hello, Nakamadomo. It is I, Sabrina Ray, the captain of this ghost ship we call Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends, in which me and my best buddy Don watch odd, amusing, and oddly amusing anime from Japan and beyond together with you. Our friends. Speaking of Don, he's here. Woohoo! Don, yeah. How are you today? I am just delighted to be closing out the weekend with this particular uh, podcast. Yeah, has it been a good week for you? It has. My kids had a fantastic, uh, a fantastic baseball session yesterday. They, they each played their own individual game, and they each ended up with the game ball. Um, from Wait, there. they each played their own individual game like by themselves at oh, home? Come on. No, well, how they... could they not end up with the game ball if that's the case? You're you're definitely harshing on my harshing on my uh, mellow here. They no, they they each had a game, um, and they were each very contributory to their game, um, such that their coaches gave them the game ball and each of them won their their team won their games. So it was a really great day from that perspective. That's really cool. I'm glad for you. We did a bunch of cooking. Uh, today was a roast chicken with this really simple recipe that comes out with just spot-on chicken, I have to say. And uh, Did you spotchcock it? Um, no, although you do... Um, it's a spatchcock. Spatchcock, not spotch. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to let that one go, but, but you had to jump in and correct yourself. For the For the uninformed listener who's not as... Um, culinarily culinarily inclined as us um, spatchcocking is when you basically cut like you you um, flatten the chicken you have to like kind of break it in a way that it like flattens out so it cooks evenly no this one is very simple you use a cast iron pot you um, cut the skin that uh, between the the leg and the body so that the leg flattens out a little bit but that's literally all you do um you prepare it with salt and pepper you melt half a stick of butter and pour it over the top uh you, you add wrong with that. lemon and garlic and the bottom of the pan you there throw you it go. in the oven for f- just 45 minutes and i was i just wow really yeah it is was it the, is it because the iron the cast iron gets so hot it like like just seals in everything i i couldn't tell you in the exact reason why but you you really roast hard. it for 45 minutes at 425 and then you take it out and you let it sit for 15 and it's good okay okay i get you and uh, <laughs> i actually can't i can't get my temperature in my oven to go above like if i go above 425 everything burns including the house so <laughs> so 425 is your max you could do this recipe 425 is my max um it'll just fill my house with black smoke and it will make everyone miserable and maya will go my daughter Maya will go crazy. So, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say there may be something wrong with your stove if it emits black smoke at any temperatures above 425. 
Yeah, I think it needs to be cleaned. But, you know, that takes effort. No, it doesn't. Like, cleaning an oven is one of the easiest possible things to do. Not when it's coated in black death. I don't know. I feel like you should (laughs) close it up, set the clean cycle, and have your whole family go for a four-hour walk. They should have chimney sweeps. Like, adorned in coats who come... And they clean your oven for you. That's what I think. Get me those chimney sweeps, those gentlemen chimney sweeps. Yeah, so that that was, we got a little bit off track there, but that was really good. And Ying also made, um, she there was some rhubarb that we had that she had to cook up. So she made a rhubarb cake. Um, and then there was, all, we had um, little neck clams for dinner last night. So I love little neck clams. Um, fat neck clams though. Mm. <laughs> You'll have to tell me where you obtain your fat neck clams. <laughs> Actually, oh, there's a lot of clams that are fat neck clams. It's just they're not called flat fat neck clams. I think um, there may be a reason for that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, just it's unflattering, I guess. But I don't know. If I had a little neck, I wouldn't want to be known as little neck either. So I, I it could. I, I don't know. I'd much rather be known as little neck than fat neck. Now, did I tell you that I made this beautiful mussels and clam dish for my friend who came over for dinner with her daughter? I made um, a chorizo and blue cheese uh, sauce for it. Like, not sauce, but I I cooked them together with a little bit of creme fraiche. So so that sounds quite nice. Um, I will say that blue cheese is not my favorite. It's something in spite of my expanded A lot of people say that to me, I've never been able to get into it. I don't know. There are certain incarnations of blue cheese that I, I am partial to, but it's generally a flavor that I find a little too strong. I, I'm not sure that our audience came here for cooking tips. You always say that, but then you never ask me how my week was. Uh, that's not necessarily true. I, I am interested in your week. <laughs> uh, I would like to know what went on in Sabrina's week. This week we'll be watching episodes 7 and 8 of Kunihiko Ikuhara's bizarre anime Sarazamai. I just think we should jump into it, Dawn, and not worry about our personal lives, which the audience really doesn't care about anyway, right? I have been (laughs) hit with the classic bait and switch. Uh, Yes! Uh, Let's talk about the episode, I want to connect, but I want to betray, which is not something I usually say. (laughs) uh, Yeah, I'm curious as to... it seems like it should be obvious who's doing the betraying. So the, the the episode starts, and it's kind of a it's kind of a weird bait and switch as well. Actually, we we start off in like Mabu and the Otter. Let's just that's what we're calling him, I guess, right? The red shadowy otter character that always says "uso" or "otter," and also like, um, takes the shape of an otter. Right, but it, sometimes it looks sort of like a man, like when he's feeling up. Uh, Mabu's chest at one point. True, true. Uh, he seems to have like a, a humany sort of shape as well. Um, so it starts off and it sounds like they're getting like sexy times, but then it turns out that they're actually making a form of ta- of um, taiyaki or a Japanese pastry, usually in the shape of a fish and filled with um, a sweet bean jam. You know this fish. You know this like it's like a it's like cooked in a mold and it, it's in this case it's shaped like an otter. So I'm usually not, it's shaped like a fish. I'm not generally I, I don't recall that either from various 
things I've eaten or from my trip to Japan. Although I do remember the bean, the bean jam itself, and I think it's quite tasty. So I can certainly it's imagine. It's not my favorite, but no, I liked it. I liked. Well, there were different. There was like red bean jam, and then like white. But anyway, it, it ends with like him saying, "Show me what's inside of you," and he's and he says, "I want to be desired." And the otter, and as I alluded to, the otter, the otter's hands are all over Mabu, and it's it's played up in a very sort of like sensual manner. Uh, but then he refers to him as a beautiful doll, and you know we're not we're not jumping straight into like Sarah's lucky items. Her lucky items are kind of like an afterthought here, where it's like a best of. Instead, we get Ray and Mabu are sitting down to have food and it's this strange combination that's not like super common it's yakisoba but they've put broccoli i think on top which broccoli is my most hated food by the way (laughs) i despise it i believe uh, you only eat it if it's been drenched in a in a quarter inch of butter yeah i wouldn't even eat it then well as an adult now you you have a choice but I do recall in our formative youth, you were forced to choke it down. Oh my god. I, I actually think broccoli is one of my most favored uh, vegetables, and I, I very much enjoy various preparations. My daughter loves it, and um, I think the only way I would eat it at this point is if you had, like, giant dollops of either whipped cream or or hollandaise sauce, because it has to be... It has to be so out there as far as the flavor goes to counteract the broccoliness of the broccoli. You know, I'm sad to hear that. I, when you prepare it, how do you prepare it? Since we're since we're focused on broccoli, and I did I mean, find I've that had to it be raw. I've had it roasted. I've had it. Uh, we boil it and uh, with salt in the water. Is that generally how you prepare it now? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say so. I don't eat it. I just don't. So I don't know if it tastes good or not that way. But Fair my daughter enough. loves it. I mean, I was raised with the the boiling water preparation. The I I find the oven roasting with olive oil, salt, and pepper to be uh, the 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 best incarnation, the safest one. Um, but um, the point isn't that isn't really about the broccoli so much as that this is one of Mabu's like favorite foods, and for some reason, Ray thinks that this is Mabu just going through the motions to remind him of who he was. Before something happened. We're not really sure what at this point. And Mabu says, There's someone important I'm doing this for. And he tries to tell Ray something, but Ray cuts him off as he always seems to. At this point in the story, did what did you think was happening here? <laughs> well, like many things in Sarazan Mai, I, I know that's a difficult question. I'm not really sure. I Ray seems very dismissive of Mabu. And basically says, like, you know, you're not, you're not real. This doesn't matter. Um, this is, you know, you're, you're just going through the motions. I feel like it was the gist of the communique. I'm also curious about Ray because Ray's mouth always seems fanged, like more than, <laughs> more than a regular person's mouth would be. Um, and I've noticed it's not, like the, it's not all the time, but it is frequently. And, and food seems to play a large role in uh, in Ray and Mabu's relationship. Right, because later he'll offer him those same uh, taiyaki-style 
um, otter pastries that he made in the tin with otter. And (laughs) it'll just be a one-off gag. It'll be... It'll be Ray biting into it and finding out. At first you think it's like, oh my God, he has an epiphany. But instead it's just that they're raw inside, basically. Mm -hmm. Or half cooked. Half baked. Ray was very surprised. And I couldn't tell if Ray was subsequently upset. Or um, if this humanized Mabu to Ray. Like, I couldn't quite tell what sort of emotion ray was projecting at that point obviously surprise but something else um because it's clear that mabu is trying to connect with ray um in a way that they used to connect that they no longer connect and it has something to do with the scene that we had at the end of the previous episode where we saw mabu take a bullet or whatever for ray um where he basically dies for him almost Mm -hmm. right that will be addressed a little later in the episode so we'll save it for now but once the rei and mabu stuff is over we're back into sort of kazuki's world and and something has really changed here um we're we're no longer talking about that sort of like depressed self-blaming kazuki of before he's he's as enta says he's gotten back to himself again so what we're seeing is like the best version of Kazuki, or so we think. Yes. At one point, they are sitting down to have food with their parents, and they just say a simple like, thank you for the meal, which is a Japanese set phrase. Um, it's very domestic. Everything feels like it's sort of like reset, and it's back to how it's supposed to be. And even when um, Haruka tries to give Kazuki the smell pouch, is that the word for that thing? <laughs> Sash- the sachet was that the, sash- the word. The sachet. That, uh, that I forgot the- what it's called. Yeah, Some you- girl I am. I-, I know. I mean, you should be carrying around a sachet. You should have a sachet in every pocket. Oh my! In every pocket? I don't have pockets because I'm a girl. Presumably, you have one pocket for a sachet, if nothing else. Oh, most women have satchel pockets. Is that how it is? is that how it works? I mean, I presume because there's not, in spite of all of our pockets, you don't see a lot of guys walking around with satchels. Listen, why do you think guys wear cargo pants? All it's the not time? for the satchels, I'll tell you that. It's for all their satchels that they carry. Kazuki says something interesting here, and this is I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on it. He says, uh, "For now, I want to build connections with those within my reach." And that seems to me like a huge lesson so far in our world of like social media and playing online and all that stuff. It's like we're increasingly chasing this connection with people outside of our immediate world. Like you and I are connected by actually being in the same space at one point. But that's not entirely true of like other people. And I I don't think that it lessens the kind of connections you can make. But to think that you get a better return maybe from like interacting with people who are able to reciprocate what you're giving in an immediate sort of way that seems important to me like it's so funny to me because have you been following this taylor swift thing with the album folklore she um surprise dropped so I was aware that there was an album folklore. I was aware that it was a surprise. It's not folklore, uh, you Mr. Know, three drink, three champagne. 
Don Munson. Good lord. I, lore. I, I belch Good a little lord. bit while speaking one word and you jump all over me like I have like I have fallen over myself. Yes, I was aware of folklore. And I was aware that it had been dropped uh, without prior um, marketing or other other notice onto the marketplace. What I have not done is listen to it yet. Oh, um, uh, it's first of all, it's fabulous. Um, I pretty much like a, all of the stuff that she puts out, but I think this is one of her stronger records. It's um, it's great storytelling. There's this weird song about um, the house that she bought once belonging to this woman who like was kind of like um, she was a widow and she she had married into sort of like a, a famous rich family and she just sort of ran wild in the town and like ran the reputation down and she's basically singing this song of appeasement to the ghost of the woman whose house she owns it's such an interesting weird bit of storytelling but that's besides the point what I was trying to say is that her fans, Taylor Swift's fans, went nuts and they've been hounding people online who gave the album a not fantastic review. So, I, I do recall some good. drama about somebody gave it an 8 out of 10 and they wanted to pillory this person. Yes, yes, because it's dropping the Metacritic score. And people really care about that for some reason. This weird aggregated score that really has no bearing on anything. Um, people hold it up to the highest regards and it's funny because we have relationships with even these celebrities who are so far beyond us so far outside of any kind of realistic relationship we could have with them a relationship that's entirely set by them and not by us I just find that interesting and I find this to be an interesting place that the show is going where Kazuki's finally kind of coming to the conclusion that he doesn't want to chase those like other types of relationships he wants to just focus on in this case he doesn't want to chase the you, you asked me in a previous episode and that's why i'm kind of asking you now if this is a satisfactory answer to why maybe he didn't immediately want to like run after his mother so i i don't i interpret a little more simply than you i think he is trying to forge relationships with those who are present and able and desirous of forming relationships with him at that there in that time in that space um and so he's making himself available he's making himself vulnerable again what i found dichotomous or what i found challenging about his relationship with his mother she also seemed available and desirous and willing of a relationship and right, that's he was I'm the saying. one well but he was the one who suffered the great deal of tension because he was in order to pursue that, he would have to leave behind other existing valid relationships. He was the one who was sort of torn apart in that struggle. Um, you know, of course, uh, his younger foster brother, and he, sorry, he's the foster child. His younger brother um, was the one who had an unfortunate accident at the time, but, and he blamed, and uh, Kazuki blamed himself. But at the end of the day, he was the one who closed himself off from the world and i think this is just he is trying to start small and atone and open himself up again i did not read into it that because we didn't really see or i didn't feel like we saw him trying to connect with anyone he was trying to if he was trying to connect with anybody it was his younger brother but he was doing it in such an awkward and convoluted way 
Right. Um, he was hiding while doing it, as opposed to just openly trying to to connect. <clears throat> I mean, what I was trying to say is don't go chasing waterfalls. Stick to the rivers and lakes that you're used to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as flippant as you're trying to be, I, I don't think that's wrong. I, I have found Kazuki's character to be a cipher in that you don't know what is bugging him in the first sets of episodes and then you piece it together or it's explained to you why he's troubled but now that he is reverting to the old kazuki the the one that his brother missed the one that enta missed um we don't really know how his parents feel although they are real people as opposed to sort of the paper doll cutouts that we see wandering around that serve good point as substitutes in like we haven't seen an internal monologue from kazuki in either episode that we're discussing here um that reveal his inner turmoils or tensions um we we do get this you know he's trying to he's trying to connect or he's trying to connect with people here but it's not it's not the internal monologue. That's just that's something he speaks aloud, and I think um, I'm still curious as to what you know, is he still wrestling with any demons? We don't know. I, I would, I can't tell. Is this really a total reversion? Is he really? Is he really? Is this is this the real Kazuki and the the unvarnished and unburdened Kazuki? It's an interesting question because I think as we'll see in the next couple scenes, um, Kazuki's positivity is it's it's real in the moment, but it certainly falls to pieces very quickly when it's challenged, so to speak. So let's get into it. Um, Kazuki pulls Toei into their friendship circle, basically. Uh, the, uh, Enta and Kazuki have been sort of putting together this plan to... He's going to rejoin soccer in the next semester and he's wearing the misanga again. Like life is good for Enta. And suddenly here comes Toy and Kazuki's just, he's just a friendly guy. He just pulls him in. Uh, Enta and he are doing their dumb pose, you know, with the hand on the head and the one leg lifted. He's being really familiar. You know, he does what's called yobiste, which is when, like, you get rid of the honorific used with a name, or you don't call someone by their family name, you call them by their first name. So that's pretty cool. And um, it turns out that Kuji is really good at soccer. Although you don't really see a lot of soccer. He just kicks the ball a couple times. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't know if they hadn't told me that they think he's good. Yes. They think that he... He's obviously been play- he's obviously played before, and then we kind of go away from this whole like friends drama thing that's happening, where they seem to be getting along and all of their conflicts seem to be resolved temporarily at least. And now we're back to Ray and Mabu, and uh, Ray seems to be having some kind of dark night of the soul. Um, he has a flashback to sort of remembering recovering from the attack that we saw where the otters attacked Kappa capital or whatever it was. And, uh, and it left him injured and it left uh, Mabu seemingly killed. But 
Well, as we find out from the chief science officer. <laughs> Thank you for that. As we find out from him, he can be saved, but there's sort of a devil's bargain. And Ray's basically beside himself. And he says, you know, Mabu is all I have. So that leaves us in an interesting place. And, and we also see Ray in the present sort of triangulating where Kepi is because we found out that they now know that the Prince of the Kappa is in that area and that he's hiding out somewhere in that vicinity and he uses the like sightings of the different Kappa zombies and the different uh, events that have happened in the show so far and he triangulates it to that square, which he probably should have known because the statue is called the Prince of Kappa. Detectives, they are not excellent. It turns out that the lucky item is balls, which <laughs> is, oh. I don't think it has a double entendre in this case because it never really pans out to anything. They, they never play it that way. Yeah. And they're definitely willing be, to play things silly. It could be that they're referring to tamatama, which is something they say, which means like occasionally or it happens to. But I don't even know how to apply that exactly. If you think of a way to, please let me know. Um, the most important storyline here is that every time the boys go to play soccer, and now it's the three of them playing, uh, the place is trashed. And they, like, Kazuki is like right there. Toei is right there. These are new versions of these characters almost. Something upbeat is happening. These two are happy to like, put the elbow grease in and clean up that like spot under the underpass which is now filled with trash and has been vandalized but it turns out that it's not the case and john why don't you talk a bit about what it's really going on and what you thought of it well we we should perhaps discuss how we find out that uh it's not the case um i mean i don't know if i want to talk about the zombie exactly but if you want to get into no no, like, no the just that, that they the the, the reveal happens at the end of the episode, whereby um, once again there's a Kappa zombie, once again it's defeated in the sort of vaguely uncomfortable way, um, and it's Enta is the one who is the capturer, and then Enta must reveal his deep dark secret, which is he is the one who is trashing their particular space because he's completely pissed off that Kazuki is giving Toei so much attention and care, um, presumably because Enta is terribly jealous that Kazuki is being so friendly with Toei. Kazuki wants, sorry, Enta wants Kazuki to himself. And he doesn't want to share no. with Toei. And he doesn't, he's resentful that of, of Kazuki paying Toei attention. He's resentful that Toei is a good soccer player. Resentful of all these things. And there's precedent for all of this in the series that we've watched so far, don't you think? Like, we've seen, um, Kaz we've seen Enta watch Kazuki and Toei on what, ex what looks like a male-female date. We've seen, uh, Kazuki basically pulling Enta, uh, pulling Toei into their friendship circle. We've seen... Without consultation, um, by the way. Right. And, and at first Toei was... An antagonist, and we also saw Enta sort of like trying to poison the well. Like, hey, this guy's dangerous. Keep away from him. Like, it can't be that much of a surprise to the audience, at least, 
that Enta would go to the links that he has here to try and and destroy a burgeoning bromance. Right. Like, we know that Enta has an ulterior motive. But even if Enta didn't, Toei is a dangerous character. And, he is. And uh, there is some a lot of unsavory uh, stuff that he brings to the table. Right, and that's where he's headed next. Um, it turns out that his brother had a score fall through and needs Toei to come help with his shady business. So there's not going to be any time for his dream of playing soccer. It's all going to come crumbling down. And so they come up with the plan to use the plates that they've been amassing. Uh, and if they can get rid of this last zombie, it's one of the worst zombies, I think. <laughs> like, I just didn't understand this one. He wants to be a ball and be kicked. Like, okay. Uh, I guess masochism in the, at its finest. Yeah, I guess so. The zombie itself has a ball gag. It's very disturbing looking. Anyway, so all they need is one more plate. But when they go to get the plates, they're missing. And it turns out that Ento was the one who took the plates because he doesn't want to use those wishes for Toei. Even though that would just... Because he wants Toei to go away. He wants Toei to... Um, to be dragged into his brother's drama and be taken out of the scene. And I don't know how much more there is to say about that, but I do know that Kepi and Sarah are dating. (laughs) And this might be my favorite gag of the series. They're going around putting stickers on frogs and um, Kappa to make sure that the distinction is obvious with stickers that say, this is a frog, this is a Kappa. (laughs) I... That is that particular angle um, that Sarah is half Kepi, fully Kepi. I mean, when we see, uh, sorry, a Kappa. When we see Kepi, we never see Kepi obtaining the form of a person except when... He steals the body of the boy temporarily. Right. Right, to to transform them into a kappa. But Sarah seems to be able to easily shapeshift between being Sarah and being a, a, a kappa. But we never see the form of Kepi that isn't like a plump little mallard-like creature. Do you believe there's a reason for that? Do I believe there's a reason for that? Uh, until we had discussed it now, no, I didn't. I, Or I didn't think it was a significant reason at this point. Um, okay. I w- I'm more interested in Sarah and why it's com- we're completely blasé to the fact that she has this dual form. Aside, I mean, we know about it. She's omnipresent in all the episodes. Um, we now know she has this other form and we're, we're totally... I mean, my... Ad- admittedly not fully understood um, understanding of the war between otters and uh, <laughs> Kappa implied that there was only one Kappa that was still on the loose in the world um, and it was the one that had the special ability for the plates uh, and therefore you know they were still out searching they meaning uh, Mabu and Ray. 
Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? Why is Ikea so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hey Jory, have you ever watched the anime called One Piece? Yeah, Joe. I watch for a podcast that we do. What? You know, we are watching One Piece. I started watching it so you could rewatch it, and then we talk about it sometimes. I, I have I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, we don't do it super frequently. Once a month at best. Did, did you forget? We analyze the story and discuss the show's themes, characters, compare it to other media, and how it provides an allegory for real-life politics and events. I, I must have forgotten what... Where can I listen to remind myself? You can listen at the Orange Groves Podcast Network or search for We Are Watching One Piece in your favorite podcast app. What's a podcast? Because uh, we kind of blew past it, but the police, when they interfere in this episode, the song is different. It has different lyrics than usual, and it's almost it has been the same up until very now, consistent. Did, you, did yeah. you notice that it changes here? No. So please um, explain to me how. Okay. Well, one thing they're singing is the word "uso," which you've heard a lot. And on one hand, it means bear. But on the other, it means lie. And the word lie is prominently in the song now, too. It becomes rip open the true heart that's been taken over. A travesty the opposite of what was felt before. Our wish is for an endless night. Our encounter to come on the morning that never comes. So it's taken a really dark twist and... It suggests what? <laughs> well, all is not good on the otter side of the world. Also, I just don't, like, there's this war between the otters and the, and the kappas. But I only ever, we only ever see one otter. And the only other warriors we know of are um, Mabu and Rei. And... Ray is this weird humanoid robot. Um, sorry, Mabu, no, Mabu is. is. Mabu is, and and Ray doesn't seem to be all that old, but it's got these weird fang teeth every time. Like, is it that? So I just don't. I don't understand how. What's the there there on that side of the house, right? Like, I don't. How many entities are we talking about? How many entities were fought in this war? Like, I, I'm very confused about. The, the forces at play here. It's a very narrow window into this um, rich and variegated history, I suppose. Well, it's possible that, just from what we know, that the otter is not one thing, but a, a thing which is legion. So 
it probably exists as multiple entities within one identity. So it's more of a concept than it is a, an actual character with its own feelings or motivations. I suppose. I feel like that's giving it a fair amount of credit. I, I guess it's weird to me that the the Ur-Otter um, or the uh, amalgamation otter of all the other otter entities uh, exists, but then Kepi is off as his own singular Kappa uh, living in the city. Uh, I, it just... It, no, I it like re- it. I would put, I would put a... a- I would put a a little sticky note here to say like come back to this point when the show decides to answer whether this is true All right, or not. Fair enough. It, it, at the moment I'm frustrated the way that um, I was in episode 7 and 8 of uh, Star Wars uh, when I don't even remember the name of the Snoke like, where did Snoke come from? What the hell is Snoke's motivation? And you know, well, and did you finish episode nine? Did you watch that? I did, out? I did. But Snoke was an entirely um, uninspired he had a whole character. Full of Snokes. I, but like Snoke itself, like I don't, I don't get. I still don't get it in the sense of like to boil it down to one. Omnip- Wait, are you doing almost- a recipe for cooking Snokes? Is that what this uh, has turned into? I mean, I don't know how to cook a Snoke. How long do I, I, don't I boil you- it down for? I mean, is Snoke literally a manifestation of Emperor Palpatine's will? Uh, some kind of creation to manipulate? I don't know. All right, all right. Uh, I want to I circle back. The, the main issue here is that <laughs> the villains are inchoate. Um, in Choet? How do you pronounce that one? They're unformed. Uh, and as a result, it, it feels hard, it, harder for me at that point to be invested in this sort of what was a historical battle between the Kappa uh, and the Otters. Let's get on to episode... Oh, no, wait. Before we go there, uh, we do get some information about Mabu and Rei at the very end. And it's that Mabu, as we could guess from the weird Kawa Uso dance that they do, has a mechanical heart. He's been rebuilt. He was going to die, uh, but the otters saved him. But there's a deal. There's a deal with the devil here. And it's that Ray and Mabu now have to work for the otters, and if if Ray wants out, he has to tear Mabu's heart out or remove his heart and stop it himself. And so that's the deal. And as we've seen through the series, they're working for the bad guys, even though they were part of the Kappa Kingdom. Although what they were doing for the Kappa Kingdom is, remains unknown to me, and uh, probably royal guards. I think it's like a Sailor Moon thing. <laughs> Do you remember Sailor Moon? Dare I uh, admit that I never, I never watched enough. I never watched enough uh, Sailor Moon to know the mythology. I the I, Sailor Scouts are basically the royal guard of, and um, Sailor Moon herself is the Moon Princess. These are spoilers, by the way. You don't find that out for a little while. But, okay. Um, and her her boy toy 
tuxedo mask is also part of that. Um, but I, I saw them in very much the same light where I don't know what their role was, but the way they were dressed and how they were fighting on the side made me think they were either knights or they were sort of like a royal guard type situation because we're dealing with um, kind of a play on shoujo manga. Okay, so episode eight is called I Want to Connect, But I Will Never See You Again or something like that. I don't know. Um, Toy is going to give up what matters most to him because his brother gave up what mattered most to him. What mattered most to Chikai, Don? Now you're putting me on the spot. Um, What did matter the most to Chikai? I mean, Chikai seems to care a lot about survival in that he keeps repeating that only the bad people um, continue <laughs> so to So he live. gave up survival? No, he didn't <laughs> give up survival. He gave up everything else in pursuit of a being. And basically saying, you know, what's the point? You can't have a bunch of lofty morals if you're if you have no home and you have no life and you have no existence. That's a good answer. I'd also say that probably it was a little bit more concrete in that he gave up um, his 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 life as like um, working with noodles and running a shop and carrying on the family legacy. He gave all that up. He became a he became a gangster. But he could he couldn't do those things if he had not, or he couldn't do anything if he didn't turn to gangsterism. Right, that's the point I'm saying. I'm saying that he gave up those things and. He gave them up even more full time because now with the murder on and having to deal with the fallout of all that, his life is his, his the, the life he may have only been dipping into. And we don't know this for certain, but if he was only dipping into a, a, a hard criminal life in order to save his family's restaurant, in order to get his brother out of out of, you know, um, out of the situation that he was in. Uh, then he locked him. He got locked in once that murder happened. And so I think maybe Toei and Kazuki overlap a little bit here where Toei um, gave up soccer because he like felt guilty about causing this change to happen in Shikai's world, just as Haruka had a huge change foist upon him. Um, that was not Kazuki's fault, but Kazuki was a player within that. Right, and so Kazuki felt that he could no longer do the things that he enjoyed. Enjoying things was now forbidden to him because right. he'd caused so much pain he did not deserve uh, to do something that he loved. Exactly, and we get a kind of shocker at this point. Um, it turns out that Toei, as a boy, played soccer with Kazuki before he moved away. We never actually connected that dot, but we do know that Enta used to go to uh, the Kuji's um, noodle shop. So we know that Toei's family lived in the area so it makes sense that he would have gone to school with the boys or at least been on a, on a rival soccer team but here we find out that they actually played together and that Toei was the one who gave up his dream to become a soccer player and gave 
Kazuki, his misanga. And somehow, this is the part that kind of blows my mind, is everyone's forgotten this, especially Kazuki. But I mean, Toei didn't forget. He just, for whatever reason, he's keeping it close to his chest. Right. Um, I don't know how you could forget something like that. It seems like a, a very significant point. Not only would you not expect to forget it, but you have a physical momentum, memento of the occasion in the Masanga. So right. the Masanga then takes like... on an added layer of meaning. So you would think that that would definitely stick in your mind. It's not like they were three years old. They looked like they were probably six. I don't know. They're little kids, but they are not, you know, they are certainly capable of remembering stuff like that, especially if soccer is this important to them. Exactly. Exactly. And But here we get a line that comes back later in the episode, which is people don't remember how they're connected until that connection is lost. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> Can you think of an example in your life where you suddenly remembered like how you're connected to others when you've lost that connection? I think that's the bad that's not a good example. I think that the the sentiment is right, which is you don't you aren't aware of your connection until you lose it. Um and it's a broader a broader manifestation of the the sentiment, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Um but if you try sometimes <laughs> That's, you'll get what you need. Yeah. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? <clears throat> that's what we're looking at here. And and I do believe that that is, you know, that's the sentiment that they're trying to express. What I don't, I don't see how that's applicable here necessarily, though. <laughs> like they voluntarily give up something that they know is meaningful to them. That They definitely know what they had before they lost it like it's the the connection with other people i think that we're we're um we're struggling with because toy just as they are beginning to make this more meaningful connection with toy or i should say kazuki and toy because um enta is definitely feeling like the odd man out and very resentful um yeah well he's kind of awful i i do not like enta in most of the scenes that he's in uh, he doesn't seem to add a whole lot to the group and his internalized sort of like, I don't know what to call it exactly, but his internalized like self-deprecation of himself and his complete lack of ability to express that side of him makes him kind of a non-character in most scenes. I don't know how you could look at the three of them and like think that Enta is, is the one that like is your favorite or something, right? Like... No, I would agree with that. I'm, and to Enta seems harsh, like a flatter but... character. Um, the only time we really got to see Enta's interior life was the episode where, uh, or I should say, Enta's character development seemed to exist just for the time where Enta admitted or acknowledged or became aware of the fact that he was he loved Kazuki. Um, but beyond that, he has been a jealous lover and not otherwise very contributory. I mean, we need to take a step back because Enta is, in fact, an absolute sweetheart and um, doted on Kazuki's brother 
all the time. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. You know, yes. we're 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 harshing on a guy who is totally selfless and kind. But no, no, step back again, though. All right, uh, you're right. There's not not there totally selfless and kind. The selfless part, he even says at one point, "Why bother with all of these?" demonstrations of how he feels and everything if none of it's ever going to be reciprocated so like even in his selflessness of taking of doting as you say on haruka there is a little bit of a a selfish impulsion there like what he really wants out of that is for kazuki to see him as indispensable for kazuki to see how much he contributes contributes, exactly I, i you know but he seems nice. I don't know. I mean, He's I guess nice here's boy. the thing. Like, even if you are doing it to curry favor with somebody, you what you are doing is in service of the rehab of Haruka, a child who lost the use of his legs. So even if it's all for show, the action itself is inherently good. Um, and it is. it would be sad if we found out that um, Ento's like it had no meaning for Ento but that Kazuki saw it but nevertheless it's a good like I, this is the question you know we're now we're getting really f- philosophical like are you a good person if you do good deeds if you harbor evil in your heart right if you're doing if all of your good deeds are for naught but selfishness if all <laughs> you do is so that you may enter the kingdom of heaven uh, do you deserve to enter the kingdom of heaven uh because you did not do them for the right reasons. I was just thinking it would be even funnier if it was like helping old ladies cross the street was because you just hoped that they would die slower. (laughs) Jeez. I like it when I knock you speechless. Well, I'm like talking about entering the kingdom of heaven. And you're like, oh, I hope they die slower. Um, we finally get the weirdest pair up the show has given us so far. Enta runs into Chikai at a pachinko parlor. He's out of balls. Is it pachinko? I think it's pachinko. I, I assume it is, but the pachinko balls are gigantic and purple. Yeah, it was a little strange looking, but uh, I gotta think it has to be. Um, and Chikai gives him a ball after he thinks he's run out. And he gives him this weird advice, and it's because you brought up philosophy that I kind of want to know what you think Chikai's philosophy is, because uh, he comes out and says, when things don't go your way, throw it all away. I mean... Which I guess is, which I guess is like... Uh, bet it all on black. No, no, <laughs> it's the it equivalent is, of it saying is, like what it is is um, don't invest. Do, do not worry about sunk costs. If the environment is not uh, Ooh, going to your liking, costs. then reject it and change the scene. Do something new. Like just because you're stuck in a bad environment doesn't mean that you have to stay that way. Like you can reject it now. His philosophy is fairly brutal, and what we see of him is not uh, kind and not... It is a very self-serving philosophy, I'll give you that. 
Oh, yeah, like when he launches Enta at a knife-wielding guy hell-bent on revenge. I would say. <laughs> assassin. Yep, just throws him in the path and then runs away. <laughs> the way he runs away is so adorable. He's so hasty and... I mean... He beats a quick retreat. <laughs> he definitely does. Um, and then what surprises me after that scene is that Enta is willing to hang out with him again like he does berate chikai for having thrown him at the assassin but then chikai's like oh you know uh it's just that's what you got to do to survive it's, right uh it's fine you, you you you're fine so it's no big deal to get back on the on the topic of like doing things for the right reasons or whatever we do we do get a hint that enta's plan was to win lollipops to give to his friends to say I'm sorry or to have his apology over lollipops. But he ends up giving one of them, probably his grape flavor, to Chikai, who he's thanking for the ball. Because when he, when he plays Pachinko with Chikai's ball that he gets, he wins multiple balls. He wins the jackpot. He wins the jackpot. And it isn't, in fact, Enta playing it. It's uh, Chikai who plays the ball on Enta's That's machine. That's true, too. That's true, too. Uh, but uh, I have to ask this irreverent question. Do you think that grape flavor means anything? Well, what's weird to me is that when the police are looking over the file of Chikai in real time outside the pachinko parlor, there one of the is, pictures... With the grape-flavored lollipop. And I also was like... That doesn't make any sense. Like, is grape a flavor that he happens to be running around with all the time? No, I don't think it is because I looked at a previous episode. I don't believe it was grape flavor. It looked like it was pink or or um, red. Oh, so no? he, he, in fact, the lollipop is a consistent theme? I know he has. I told you to pay attention because um, he used to give lollipops to Toei, who would then... He made like a shrine to his mom and dad and he put the lollipop there and he didn't suck on it. So he was like withholding from the joy. Once again, yeah, you don't get you don't deserve the good things. Right. And we yet we did see Chikai with lollipops afterward. Like when he's like drowning the guy, he had a lollipop. I don't think it was grape. Maybe grape is his flavor. I, maybe I don't know. maybe the lollipop in the cop's file is just a lollipop. Maybe a cigar is just a cigar. Maybe a cigar is just a cigar. Or maybe it's a sausage. Like, I'm glad we both noticed the grape sucker thing because it was very, very obvious. I mean, it was just, I was like, I was like, huh, that is the lollipop that he's having right now unless they are psychic and manage to, like, this is an Inception style, not Inception. Uh, what's the name of that movie with Tom Cruise? Minority Report? Yes, that's the one. Where they've got the the psychics who can uh, see the kills before they oh, yeah. see the murders. Yeah, it's a very important uh, piece of information, especially hey. the picture. Yeah, which makes it very clear that great what lollipop, the lollipop. That's what you what need the, to find. What the lollipop looks like when it's wrapped, mm. which is, I, why would you? He's not carrying around a wrapped lollipop. Anyway, the the show. 
there's some interesting stuff here. Kazuki is still furious with Ento for his betrayal. Toei tries to play peacemaker. How, and he gets... how does Kazuki manifest that um, fury? How does he manifest it? Yes. He, like, he punches him. He punches him and then tells him they're not friends anymore. Yeah, that's at the Kappa, when he brings the plates back to the Kappa's hideout. Oh, that's yeah, right. But that's right also the... after he gets the call, or is it before he gets the call from... No, it's, it's after he gets the call from Chikai telling him that he's leaving. Because there's no more hope, because the dishes are gone. Right, so... Yeah, I just... But why does he punch him then and not sooner? Like, this is the thing I don't understand. Wait, why end, would you punch him sooner? What would you have done? You punch him when you find out he's the one who's stolen the plates and he's the one that smashed the... the, the that tore up the... Um, right at the end of the prior episode, when all that comes out. When they're Kappas. No, I don't know. I don't know. We don't see them at the end of the episode. I know. That's, the that is the thing that. that bugs me so much about that, right? I think maybe at that point, Kazuki still thinks that Toei, who he's still not aware that he has a connection with from childhood, uh, but maybe that's part of it. Maybe in somewhere in the back of his mind, that connection is trying to reestablish. And because... Uh, Entes worked so hard to sever it and seems to have successfully severed it, that's when suddenly he gets furious with him. I don't know. I mean, he gets furious with him at the time that Enta is trying to make amends for his actions and bringing the plates back. And to my... It would seem to me that if you have magic plates that grant a wish, you can probably get this get this stuff figured out you don't need to take your rage out on enta at that point for doing the right thing you would just add your plate get the five plates and make your wish yeah i suppose they don't even have time to like follow up on that though right i mean that's that's why i was confused at that time because i didn't remember because that scene got subsumed by the arrival of um ray and mabu Right, and let's but let's talk a little bit more about Kazuki here because, as I was trying to allude to earlier, I feel like we're we're learning that Kazuki, his positivity, was yet another mask. Not in the, not in the sense that it wasn't sincere, but in the sense that like, this version of him that he that he restored, right? It is so quick to crumble. Like even Toei's like, hey listen to him like don't go crazy about this but kazuki's once challenged by enta's betrayal he just goes all in on this whole rage thing so like what is the real kazuki that's another question i i still don't know and i i i'm troubled by the character because it because Kazuki swings from from rage filled to innocent and Kazuki also seems very simple minded when he's in the sweet phase of being kind to everybody it's like yeah it doesn't feel mature is the word i would use like protective of your yourself and rational in your actions just like it, it just seems odd to me either that or there is some sort of there is some sort of weirdness in the relationship between Kazuki and Toy in that it almost seems like 
Kazuki has feelings for Toy, has uh, is attracted to Toy, or you know, but is completely unable to manifest that or or say it in any meaningful way, and so it all comes off as this as this unrelenting um, kind friendship. Right, which then sours and turns into something much uglier. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting point. Um, I wouldn't say that the show is beyond uh, suggesting that there are romantic things between the three boys and that this is actually a story of a love triangle. But um, it's a love triangle without like a sexual love component. Even though we saw sort of a perversion of Enta with his sniffing and whatnot and his kissing of an unconscious Kazuki. In, in the sense of, like, I'm, I'm not expecting there to be necessarily all that much of a sexual component because this is, this to me, yeah, I mean, kids can have sex at 14, but in general, at least where you and I grew up, they were not, they were, they, on doesn't the whole, matter. were not. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's actual sex we're talking about. A sexual component can still be there if it's just suggested that they're forming it's, relationships. It's that more than would just suggested. Enta definitely it. would like to have a sexual relationship with Kazuki. It's true. And I think. and that was that episode. But that's what we don't get from Kazuki with Toy. Absolutely. We get the total anodyne, um, complete um, banality. Unless... There's, there's no. There's no obvious sexual component to it at all. Unless you put that Sarah character in there that he played for so long. Because she... But that was also chaste. It was very chaste. It was chaste, but it was strangely flirtatious. Uh, But then again, he might have just been inhabiting... Inhabiting the character. character. Yeah, got that sort of sexuality implied by what she does and looks like. But I remember a scene where he's drinking soup as Sarah and Toei's just like kind of embarrassedly watching him drink the soup. And at first it was because he's bad at drinking soup. But then there's this moment where it's it's like he's looking at him like he's, you know, the idol. So I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting, but I don't think we need to talk about it yet because I don't think the show's ready to answer that question. I do think, though, that we can talk about Mabu and Rei because they unleash a new version of their gun over these episodes. Um, Chikai is now a most wanted man, and they frame him by basically killing uh, the guy that was in pursuit of him who had a scary knife. He was a very comical character. I really didn't think the writing around that was very good. But it's just he's just there to to get the plot to where it needs to go, right? Um but they shoot him and they shoot him with the same gun we've used to see them do extractions and they even do their same spiel. Hey, we're opening the door for you. Will it be love or desire? But then they set it to shoot, like basically shoot to kill. And it just, it's just a gun at that point. And they shoot him in the head and he's dead. And then they frame Chikai for it. So Yeah, through using some sort of weird mind control. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they have these badges that they flick at people. And once it lands on them, they can, like, make them say whatever they want. Uh, which you'd think they could do a lot more with. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I do feel like they've they've got all these weird powers that um, they use in pursuit of uh, zombies, <laughs> right? As opposed to, I don't I don't know what else you would want to do, but like creating weird zombies is not what I guess I would have thought you would have done. And uh, what I kind of want to wrap up slowly here. I don't really care too much about Kepi or Sarah at this point. She accidentally freezes him while trying to. This is a really weird subplot. Yeah, she peppers her ramen, kicks him into the frost machine. It, like, and then he's frozen, and they're not going to follow that up until next episode, so it's not worth talking about. Um, instead, we get Toei riding away on a boat, ignoring calls from Kazuki. We get Enta getting shot. Yeah, well, that seemed like we a big get, deal. We get the plates stolen. Mabu and Ray show up. And Mabu and Ray show up, take the plates, but they still only have four, right? I think so. Kazuki and Toy should beat the shit out of Enta at the end of episode seven when they find out that he's the one that's been trashing their play zone repeatedly because he's jealous. I don't think it's a beat the shit out of a guy offense. I think it's like kind of shitty. But well, come maybe they should confront. talk to him. They should confront him. Right, right. Obviously, and also Kazuki at that point they should confront him and get the plates, right? Probably Kazuki was angry and stomped away. That's my theory. I, I guess, but then you would also be like, we discussed this. We need the plates for Toy. We, we're all here. Go get the other four plates and let's execute on this agreed upon plan even though you're being a, a terrible person about it instead somehow enta avoids them runs off into the sunset and you know all this unresolved stuff comes up we are getting towards the end here but i wanted to jump back to um chikai and enta and here's an interesting thing we know you know we've already gone over chikai's philosophy that like the bad guy is the only one who can survive all this but um, we get a kind of sweet, weird moment, nostalgic moment between the two, where Chikai's, they're, they're, they went to the Hanayashiki, I guess, which is where we saw um, Toei and um, Kazuki go on their date together. Except at that time it was ninja and bee themed and couple themed. But here we see them go to like a very similar thing. Whether it's the same one or not, it's, it's just an amusement park. One. I felt it. It it seems to be the same amusement park, right? Well, I didn't um, think it was the same one. It was. Or I then one of them would have to be dressed as a girl. I thought it was just an amusement park. Right, but even if it's the same one, as long as it's not that particular promotion, it could be the same park. Oh, oh. But anyway, you're right. I had, uh, I had forgotten about the promotion night. Anyway, Chikai basically says that he used to come here with his family and and his young brother who back then was kind of cute but he's since lost his like innocence and his cuteness and uh and i thought to myself like that's kind of a coincidence like why was there like an earlier episode at this park what is the significance of it at that time it was played like a gag like a throwaway gag but here it comes back again in a different form. And I'm wondering if we look at the series, 
if we can see different moments that come back to us in a different form like like this where we get a different perspective on something that we kind of assumed was either meaningless or didn't have a narrative value and that is all the time we have for this week's show. Uh, Don had to leave abruptly, so I'm just going to wrap by myself and say thank you so much for listening to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. Nakamodomos, you're the best. Uh, we are part of the Orange Groves Podcast Network, which supports marginalized and smaller podcasts, marginalized voices, I should say, and smaller podcasts, and we would really appreciate your support. Go to patreon.com slash theorangegroves, and you can get some exclusive content. Um, you'll also be able to access exclusive content from all the other amazing shows on the network, some of which were in the commercials that I aired. Um, so please check those out. Uh, you could also support us on coffee.com by buying us a coffee. That's like two to three dollars. Um, if you throw us some money, we will use it to buy supplemental materials, um, DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, books that are only available in Japan, etc., etc. Uh, stuff that costs extra that we that we don't personally fund, uh, that we would otherwise have to pay out of pocket for. Uh, and if you go to ko-fi.com slash okashina podcast o-k-a-s-h-i-n-a podcast uh, you can also reach out to us on twitter we have a twitter handle it's at okashina podcast spelled the same way as the coffee come and tell us what you think of the show like what you want to see next or hear next um and you know just talk anime with us we love it all right guys i'm gonna go but I'll leave you with our catchphrase. Don's not there to sing the other part of it, but why don't, why don't I teach it to you guys now? Because we've been saying it, um, and someday when all of this COVID nonsense is over, I hope that we're all together again and we can sort of sing in unison, uh, maybe at a convention or something. Okashiku ikou yo! 